KMTT, the weekly share on Agadot Chelek. And today we are on Dafzadi uh, Amud Bet, continuing in uh, stories and drashot concerning Tchiat Amitim. Today we open with a Gemara that's not what's the source of Tchiat Amitim, but what would appear at first to be a curiosa, perhaps trivia, trivia concerning Tchiat Amitim. And our job is really to understand why, in fact, it was an important question. The Gemara tells the following. Sha'ala Cleopatra Malketa et Rabbi Meir. The queens of Egypt were all named, or most of them were named Cleopatra. So the time of Rabbi Meir, the queen Cleopatra asked Rabbi Meir, Amra, Yedaina Dechayei I know that the, the dead will arise. Dichtib, she quotes a pasuk. I imagine perhaps the story is either accurate or, or even making a point, but he quotes a pasuk in Tilim. There's not a pasuk that's quoted by Agamara to prove Tkatamitim because it's not Ben HaTorah. We've been looking for the past few weeks for pasukim that are in the Torah specifically. It's a pasuk in Tilim. Um, they will uh, arise like like the grass of the earth. It was from the ground. <coughs> but that's not a question. Cleopatra wants to know when the dead arise, will they be dressed or not? I, I, I suspect, in all honesty, that at least in terms of the character of the person asking, the Chazal are really treating this from her point of view, as being a trivial question. In other words, that's the kind of thing that Queen Cleopatra would ask. She wants to know the sartorial style of the um, of those arising from the dead. Nonetheless, if the Gemara brings a story and brings an answer, I think there's going to be some significance to it. So we're going to pay no attention to the uh, to the humorous side of the story. She wants to know did the dead arise dressed or not? Amala, she he if a mayor answered her, Kalvachoma Michita. A grain of uh, a grain, a grain of wheat. Machita shenikbara aruma yotzah bekama levushin sadikim shenikbarim belevushehen alachat kama bekama. If you plant a grain of uh, of wheat, so you plant it naked, meaning just a grain, and when it comes out, the grains are ensheathed with with the plant. They're going on a stalk. And uh, in, uh, and the, the grains are inside. So, tzaddikim shenigvarim with bushehen, we bury people, we bury the tzaddikim in their clothing, Allah had come of a camel that they will rise in their clothing. <coughs> okay, what's the point of this of this conversation? Uh, overlooking the historical, the ahistorical occurrence, what's the significance of the question and the answer? So I think to understand this, we have to understand the um, the nature of clothing in the eyes of Chazal. The fact is that unlike grains of wheat, people are born naked. Clothing is an artificial addition to a person. Asking the question, 
whether the future resurrection, people come out naked or come out clothed, is, I think, a question concerning the relationship, the continuum between this future life and the present life. If people are resurrected nude, that means they're being reborn. That means, what, what, what is clothing? Clothing here symbolizes all the things you've added to yourself in the course of your life. Clothing are the things that, they, 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 let's say, they, they represent the honor of a man. Rabbi says, I think it was Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir, Haya Korei Lebegadav Kvodo. The Kvodam Shala Adam. More important people wear more important clothing. It represents your stature, your status, how much you've achieved, both in terms of material terms, not money invested, but also uh, many times in history and to a certain extent today as well, uh, the status, the social status that you've achieved. Clothing is, on one hand, extraneous to a person. It's not his, literally his body. But it is personal. It's been added to a person to reflect his accomplishment, his accomplishments in the world. The person dies, so his life is over. There is a Jewish doctrine called resurrection. Does that mean that you're being literally born again? You get a chance to start all over? In which case, you're born naked. You don't carry over to the next life the uh, acquisitions, the achievements of this world. Or, they will arise fully clothed, meaning they arise to continue the previous life. Is the next life a continuation of this life or a restart of this life? And I think um, this understanding of the question is borne out by the language of the answer. She asked about, in, in she, the, the language of the Gemara is in Aramaic. I know that those who, who lie down, those who sleep, will arise. But do they arise naked or clothed? Abai Ramea answered her about the tzaddikim. She said, it just doesn't make a difference. The people, people who arise will be tzaddikim because the shame will not arise, perhaps. Um, he didn't really mean it, but no, it's interesting, it says, And I think this reflects what I just explained. We're talking about tzaddikim bilabushem. In other words, the mitzvahs, the accomplishments, the, the, the accomplishments of man. We're not talking about the scarf or the shoes. The clothing represents something here. So those people who built a lot in this life, do they have to start all over? Or will they start all over? Or in fact, is it a continuation of the previous life? And he answered, yes, it is a continuation. Um, and this represents a, an understanding of Tchet HaMitim. I, I mentioned one possibility, the very first year I gave, that Tchet could be like a second chance. But um, it, it's, it's missed, missed opportunities. It's to fulfill missed opportunities. But even so, you have this very important question is, that relates to continuity. It's a philosophic question as well which articles have been written about in philosophic journals. What does it mean that someone is resurrected? What makes the person after resurrection the same person that, that lived several hundred years before? It's not the same body. Human continuity within your life is based on bodily continuity. I'm very different 
than a child from 40 years ago. But there's a certain continuity that relates to the fact that I've been in the same body, even though the body itself is also, of course, uh, uh, replacing all its cells, but there was still this continuity all the time. But if someone arises after being dead, someone appears after a hundred years and says, I'm that person. What is the meaning of that same, I am that person? But presumably our answer is that it's a totally different body. I mean, the body rotted away. But uh, the soul is the same soul. We have to give some sort of definition of what the soul means. Um, but there's a problem about it how it's not continuity. If, what would it mean, at least to a non-Kabbalistic mind, to say that a person comes back, but he comes back as a little baby child, doesn't have the memories, doesn't have the experiences. So what, what exactly says that it's the same person? I think it's important to Chazal to say that your life is resurrected, which means that your life is continued. And therefore, Rabbi Meir is saying that omdim. They arise exactly at the point they were, that they were buried. And therefore, although he realizes that physically um, it is a different body, and what's more, it's probably different lavush. If you bury somebody in, in clothing, in tachrichin, in shrouds, the shrouds will also decay. And at the time of the future resurrection, they won't be. So he said, well, okay, but it's still a kavachomer. It's not that they'll have the same clothes necessarily, but the fact is that they were buried in clothing, and therefore kavachomer, that they will arise in, in clothing. So physically it might be different, but at least I'm saying is that the fact they were buried in clothing provides the basis for the surety that they will arise in clothing as well. Because that's the first thing I think we can say about this interesting conversation between Rimea and the Queen, the Queen Cleopatra. I forgot to point out beforehand is this is definitely not the famous Cleopatra, who died long before Rimea was born. And the Cleopatra of Julius Caesar, it was some two hundred years, about two hundred years before before the time of Rimea. But there are many other Cleopatras as well. There's something else I think the story also gives rise to. Uh, this is an idea. <clears throat> There's a, an implicit comparison here between planting a seed and watching a plant grow and burying somebody and his arising many years later. <clears throat> that comparison, that um, that metaphor that we seed the ground with human beings who then grow. <clears throat> so first of all, it, it also provides a measure of continuity. In other words, the dead body or the dead person is the seed from which the new person grows. But other than that, it also says something about life. Um, why do seeds grow? Because they're alive. If you plant a dead seed, if you plant a rock in the ground, it doesn't grow. Agriculture, the whole the whole metaphor of a seed in the ground is based on the fact that the seed is a germ. It has the life force, the life implantation is in it. So taking that metaphor on to the case of resurrection, it implies that resurrection is based on the life of the dead body, of the dead person. So even though you've died, you haven't quite died. It's not that 
there is life after death. It's that the death itself is not really death. It's even the seeds that we plant, they don't look alive, they're very dry. Right? When you when you plant the, the seeds that that it's not like fruit. They they're close to death, they're dried out, but they contain the germ of life. That's what more or less we read two weeks ago. One of the proofs brought for the was from the Pasuk, and I claimed that that was its meaning. That you who are cleaved, attached to God, you are alive as this day. And the, and the Gemara says that that means that they will, will be resurrected after they die. Because you are you're cleaving onto God. You are Chayim Kulchem Hayom. You are life itself. And therefore, the fact that you're going to sleep on the ground is not really ending your life. So this is a particular, I think we've had one of the examples of this, but this is a particular, again, it's a metaphor, it's a picture that says that it's not just that there would be a miracle. God will do the, the unimaginable. Make life out of death. It's saying that life is made out of death because, and again, perhaps the use of the word tzaddikim here. Tzaddikim mitatam kurim chayim. They're not quite 100% dead. And therefore, they're only sleeping. And again, the word that Cleopatra used was the chayi shavchi. Those who are lying down will arise. That is merely slumber. A few days, a few hours, a few minutes, a few hundred years. But it's, a, it's akin to going to sleep. And the reason why you arise in the morning is because you weren't quite dead when you went to sleep. And it's, it's, it's a bit more dramatic, I think, even than sleep. When you're sleeping, you're, so to speak, frozen in time. But the seed in the ground is, of course, germinating. It's cre- it is creating new life, but out of itself. I don't know how far we can take we can take the metaphor. If I would go another step further, I would say that the plant that the seed came from, the plant that grows later on, is not the same plant. It's a it's it's something new that arose out of something old. There's the seed preserved the the essence of life of the previous plant and then produce a new plant. That's why it's different than sleeping, where it's actually the same, nothing nothing changes at all while you're sleeping. But here you 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 take this little teeny seed and it bursts out into a dramatically different, much more developed life than than was in the seed itself. And that could be included in this in this in this picture as well. Let us continue with the next story that's for Nigamara. Also a conversation between a Roman and a uh, and a Rav. Amalek Kesar. A certain Kesar doesn't always mean an emperor. Uh, not as Roman emperors, but Roman rulers were also called Kesim sometimes in the Gemara. Amalo Kesar Rabban Gamliel. Amritu de Shach Vichai. Hahavo Afra Afra Mikachai. The Kesar said to Amliel, you say that the the sleeping, the lying down, will live. But they're dust. How can dust live? So this is a very different question than, than has been asked till now. This is a scientific question. He's saying he doesn't understand how it's possible that a person, if a person was merely dead, but still preserved, so you can understand how he would wake up. But he's decayed. He's disintegrated. He's dust. There is no body. 
How can life arise from dust? Obviously, the answer should have been, it's a miracle. I mean, what do you mean, how can a life arise from dust? With, well, no one claimed that it's just a normal occurrence. It's a miracle. It's God's promise. It's God's promise, God's trust to the tzaddikim or to Israel. That's not what, that's not, that's not the answer that takes place in the Gemara. Uh, the questioner, the Kesan, would not have understood that answer. His whole question was predicated on he wants to see what kind of natural process could possibly be here. And in fact, he received the natural answer. What takes place in the Gemara is an interesting uh, 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 development. Amrale Barte. Not Rav Gamliel answered. The daughter of the Kesan said to Rav Gamliel, Shafkei Vana Mahadana. You be quiet, let, do I, I ask, she has permission, can I answer him instead of you? And this reflects a certain historical reality in the time of the Roman Empire where there was uh, a great deal of interest in Judaism among the Roman, the Roman elite. Uh, we know, for instance, that the mother of Nero, Caesar Nero, was, uh, was very Jewish, was half Jewish, uh, Judaizer interested in Judaism. And apparently there was this interest in uh, the time of basically the, the disintegration of, of paganism, which is why Christianity was able to then eventually to, to uh, uh, harvest the fruits. Uh, the old world was really passing away, was no longer taken seriously, and therefore Judaism was, the, was a major alternative. So she, she said, I can answer my, my, my pagan father. What was the answer? We have two um, craftsmen. In our city, one of them makes things out of water. One makes things out of mud. Ezma Mishubach, who is the greater craftsman? Amala, if the father answered him, Zeshu Yotzeman Amayim. If you can make things out of water, that's a true. That's a true feat. Making things out of mud is easy. Amralo min Amayim Tzar min Atit Lo Kol Shakein. So she said to him, No, if God can make people, can make life out of water, He can surely make life out of earth, out of mud. And what is the water? Rashi explains, Mitipas Rucha. All human beings are made out of water. Go come. They derive from water. What does it mean water? It means a liquid. A human semen. And therefore, if a human being can arise from that, then arising from something that's more, uh, how to put it, more material, okay, more materialistic, is, 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 is far, is far easier. This conversation is a fascinating conversation. Often I wish to repeat my point. It seems irrelevant to us. I'm looking to find out how easy it is for God to resurrect. On the contrary, I think that the most, uh, most Gemarot and most of our reaction to the idea of resurrection would be in the opposite direction. It's the ultimate miracle. And, and, and frankly, yes, it is a greater expression of God's power and total domination of nature, that this is or will be resurrection, than the fact that, that people are born. If not for the fact, only for the fact that we see people born all the time. Whereas resurrection apparently is very, very rare. I haven't seen it yet. But, but nonetheless, this conversation, in answering the Kesar, in the way his mind works, the Roman here basically represents rationality. I would say he's basically Greek. Because real stories in the Gemara don't usually involve Greeks because there weren't that many Greeks running around. Um, but but the Roman here is a inheritor of a Greek tradition. Aristotle defines the rise of philosophy 
as as deriving from the belief that existence comes from existence, existence does not come from non-existence. Notice that A comes from A, and A cannot come from B. And the question of how things can change was a question which Aristotle claims was the cause of all philosophy and eventually the cause of his own philosophy as well. And that's the sort of question here. He examines dust and doesn't see how life can come from dust. He knows how life can come from life. Why people have children because it's and one life producing another life. But how can life come from dust? Dust is the ultimate lifeless thing. And we could say another thing as well. The picture of dust, dust is more than lifeless. It's also worthless. Afar, when from dust you have come and unto dust you will go, is a statement in the Torah which is not merely describing the physical process. It's saying you come from nothingness and you return to nothingness. Dust is as close as you can get to nothing and still be something. It's something which exists, but it has no form, no value, and no worth. It's merely dust. When you want to say that you're uh, worthless, so you say, as Avram Binu said to God, Anuchi afav ve'efer, I am dust and ashes. That means I'm nothing. I'm something, but I'm as close to nothing as you could be without being, without not being at all. So he, he's being really rational. He's being totally rational. And, and what she is basically answering him is that life doesn't follow the same rationality as other things. Walls come from stone. You can't make a wall out of water or a wall, or a wall out of air. But life doesn't follow the same rules she's saying. And the fact is that if you think about it, where, where I, I think what she's saying is that we're used to birth, and if we don't pay attention, but if you think about human birth, you will realize, and this is an amazing statement to say, that it is not less miraculous or marvelous then resurrection, in fact, she claims it's more. So the unusual or astonishing uh, facet of resurrection is a psychological mistake. We daily witness and experience more amazing things. The fact that life comes, in her language, from water. Or in Rashi's language, All life is amazingly miraculous. And if God can arrange for that, then resurrection seems to be child's play by, uh, by comparison. So here we have a very, very, very different picture of, of resurrection than in any of the we learned before. As opposed to viewing it as being something that's against the world, anti-nature, this, this, this discourse, this little conversation says that although it never has happened, or almost never has happened, and never has happened in our experience, but resurrection is in fact a a uh, expression of one of the most basic facets of this world, and that is life. So, in that sense, it it goes together with what I mentioned a few minutes ago, and we mentioned last week about uh, except that there we were saying that because you cleave unto God, that's why your life is a different kind of life than the average life. Most life things die, but you will live forever or you will be resurrected because you're Dvekim Bashem Adokechem. So there we were talking about, yes, that life, human life, what Sadiqim life, is unquenchable, but it's because it's really not natural. Human life is Dvekim Bashem Adokechem. But now we're saying is that, you know, not necessarily. Life is basically different. It's not at all surprising. I don't know if all live people will die and be resurrected. 
But it's not surprising in terms of forgetting about the source of life leading to life, but even dust can lead to life. Now, it's based on a overturning of how to view nature. It's not that she hasn't proven, she hasn't answered the rational question. Life shouldn't be coming from dust. What she, pointing out, what she points out is that you don't understand life to begin with. That the natural world is amazing. Things you take for granted are in fact, it's not that resurrection is as normal as the things we take for granted. Things we take for granted are as miraculous as resurrection. We should change, in one hand, every, the resurrection is really natural. But it's only because the natural doesn't exist. The natural is amazing. You go into a hospital, or you go into a house, and a woman is giving birth. It takes place thousands of times a day all over the world. Animals give birth also. All that is shows you that nature is one continuous miracle. And therefore, the very basis of your question, trying to apply this rational criteria as to what makes sense in Judaism is ridiculous. You don't understand your own world. Why would you imagine you understand the world, the world of Judaism? And as an aside, I think we very often have um, similar conversations. In other words, certain things are taken, they're not genuinely rationalistic. They're simply taken for granted. We haven't examined our assumptions and therefore everyone, you know, this makes no sense. Why not? Because we're not used to saying it. And, and the conversation here is trying to say, do you really understand what it means to say that something makes no sense? What in your eyes is normal and what is not? The fact that we've gotten used to saying certain things because they're modern, because they're accepted, because they're conventional, because they represent the accumulated wisdom of the 21st century, doesn't necessarily make them correct or incorrect, but merely uh, what's, as I said, conventional, what people are used to saying and what they're not used to experiencing. No one's experienced resurrection. We've all experienced birth. So birth is normal. Resurrection is, is miraculous and perhaps incredulously show, impossible. So without going into the details of the particular comparison as to what we understand more or less, and what she was saying to him is that you basically don't understand. They didn't make another version. The one makes another version of the same point. And not so different. The Vei Rabbi Ishmael Tana it usually, that usually means the same point in a slightly different nusach. Here it's very different nusach, but it is the same essential philosophic point. Kal v'chomer mikli schuchit. The kal was not dust or mud compared to water, but uh, but being compared to a glass vessel. Makli schuchit sh'amalan beruach basar vadam. Glass vessels are made out of air. You have to picture the person blowing blowing the glass. So it's made, first of all, from basically dust. It's made from sand, water, and, and air, and, and breath. So the work involved, not the, not the physical material, not the material cause, but the efficient cause, is the amalan, the work involved, is the breath of, of, of blood and flesh. Nishburu, if it's broken, yeshlem takana, if a glass breaks, you can fix it. You put it back in the fire, and you're able to, to re-blow it, or to refix it. Basar vadam, shiburucho shal kadosh baruchu, a human being, 
who is like a glass vessel, but he's been blown by the breath of God. As the Pasuk says, Vayipach ve'apav nishmat chayim, God breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of man. Al-achat kama ve'kama. If broken vessels, broken glass vessels, can be reforged, reblown, then a broken human vessel, whose original life came from the breath of God, is lo kol This very dramatic conversation, this very dramatic uh, metaphor, definitely has an added point to the previous one. It views death as a broken vessel. Resurrection is being fixed. That's not the obvious way of looking at resurrection. We're heavily influenced by the fact that we think when a person dies, he goes to Olam Haba. He's having a good time there as well. He's missing a body. So at least this particular metaphor brought here, I assume it means also this is another story, another version of the story of the daughter of the Kesar and the Kesar, says that you know when you die, it's really a tragedy. You're broken and unusable. A broken vessel is is not a chipped vessel, it's broken vessel. But it can be fixed. And it's the job of the manufacturer, the person who made it the first time, will in fact fix it. Well, God made people. The reason why they died, it doesn't say this here, I think that's what it means, the reason why they died is because they had an accident. Not that the death was an accident, but their sin was an accident. They really, they were made to exist, they were made to be beautiful. They were made to serve their purpose forever. They broke. They broke on life's exigencies. They broke either on disease or they broke on sin which caused disease. And they were worn out. And and all things break. But if it was a really good vessel, you don't just throw it out. You fix it. Resurrection is God fixing, fixing death. Fixing this world. Fixing the, the, the travails of time and the, the weariness and damages that time inexorably does to a human to a human being. So here we have another picture of what resurrection is about. We talked about resurrection as, as second chances. We talked about uh, uh, resurrection as being the fulfillment of a person's basic nature. We talked about resurrection as being the unquenchable force of life. Um, and here we have a picture of resurrection as being a repair to the damages that life imposes on a human being. God who resurrects is the same as God who heals or God who fixes. God's commitment to the world, God's commitment to humanity, God's commitment to the tzaddikim leads him to fix the damage. If you broke your arm, you go to the doctor, he fixes it. You've broken your life. A dead person is a broken person. But he was made that which the work involved in making him, the life, so to speak, that's within him, is the breath of God. All that was broken was the vessel that contains it, 
In other words, a glass vessel, its form is from the air with inside it. And then you have the sand, which takes the form. Human body is a vessel holding on to the breath of God. Human life is the breath of God. The breath wasn't destroyed. The vessel was, was broken. The vessel can be fixed, and in fact, God will, God will fix it. Okay, those are, we did three Midrashim today. The clothing Midrash. And two versions of the question of the natural process. In what way can life be restored to a body? Answer number one, no question. Anything can be done. Answer number two is, the life is not the body. It's in the body. The body is the outward vessel. Vessels can be fixed. If life were quenched, it might be more difficult. But life is the breath of God. And that can easily be replenished. The vessel needs to be fixed. And resurrection is the fixing, the repair of the broken vessel of our lives in this world. But that's it for this week. We'll continue again. The Medrashim continue on the next page. We already we reached out the Aleph and Aleph. We finished our first page of of Perkhelek. We're on our second page now. We will continue. We will continue next week. Until then, Koltov.